All right, well, we're, we're in a short series that we're doing here uh, just for three weeks, and uh, we're looking at the, uh, the uh, Romans chapter 8, a chapter in the Bible that we've called the greatest chapter ever written. And if you're allowed to have a favorite a chapter of the Bible, for me, this is definitely one of my favorites. Because what, what you have in Romans chapter 8 is this is the gospel or the good news in a nutshell. And so uh, Romans 8 is a picture of the salvation that we've been given in Jesus. It is a chapter-long um, explanation of the, of, the, of the salvation that God gave us in the gospel. And when you think about salvation, uh, there's a lot of ways that a Christian can answer the question, are you saved? Uh, on the one hand, uh, they could talk about being saved in the past tense. So at one point in my life, uh, maybe a season or a, a moment, I was saved, God converted me or God saved me. And usually we call this justification. So I, I, I'm acquitted of all my sins and I've given the righteousness of Jesus. Uh, but you could also talk about salvation in terms of the present tense reality. So I am being saved, right? So God is saving me right now from things like greed and lust and selfishness. We're undergoing a process of salvation from sin and darkness. We call this sanctification, the present tense reality of being saved. Uh, but you could also talk about salvation in the future tense, so that one day we will be saved. This is casting forward into the future of when uh, salvation is going to be complete. And we call this glorification. Can we all say glorification? Glorification. Uh, this is uh, the name that theologians give to our future glory, our ultimate salvation, uh, what we're all looking forward to as the people of God when Jesus Christ comes and makes everything right. And so uh, Romans 8, these, uh, the next verses that we're going to look at, are all about glorification. They're all about our future glory. Now, um, I want to begin by just saying, I don't think we as Christians think about this as much as we should. Uh, and I think there's probably a lot of reasons for this. You know, one of the reasons is that we're just, we have busy lives. And we're so consumed with the present that we almost don't have enough mental space to think about the future. You know, we've got bills to pay, we've got diapers to change, we are, we're going to work, we're uh, taking the kids to soccer practice, we're doing all these things in the present, and so often we just don't think about our future. And maybe we think, you know, maybe when I get older, or maybe if I'm close to death, I'll think about the future, but right now, you know, I just, I just honestly, I'm kind of focused on the right now. I think maybe there's another reason why we don't think about the future very often. It's because if we're honest, it's not all that exciting to us. You know, a lot of us have kind of a cartoon uh, version of heaven or the future, our, our glory. And, uh, you know, you, in a cartoon, you might see uh, somebody dies and they float off to the clouds. And there they are with a white robe and a halo and a perfect haircut, playing a harp, you know, and they're sort of translucent. And you think, boy, I don't, I don't know that... I kind of I would like to spend a little bit more time before I have to go into that environment. And so a lot of times we just don't think of, we think of it uh, in, in sort of a, a way that is not terribly attractive. I had a friend that said, uh, Brent, don't worry, heaven is not going to be like clouds and harps. Instead of, instead of that, think about uh, an eternal church service. And I thought to myself, 
Boy, that sounds more like hell than heaven. (laughs) I'm a pastor. I love church services as much as anybody else, but a church service that goes on and on and on forever. I'm not ready to sign up for that just yet. And so I think a lot of times we don't think about heaven because we don't necessarily have a, a correct vision of what it is that we're looking forward to. So what does heaven look like? What is, our, what is glory for us? What is the future? Well, notice what Paul says here in verse 18. He says, For I consider <clears throat> that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. Notice what Paul says here about our future. He said, The future is so incredible that it is not worth comparing to your life right now. He says, I consider, or he says, I've thought about this carefully. And after careful consideration, I consider that the future that's awaiting us, is, it, it is so much better that it's no comparison to life now. In other words, Paul is saying, no matter what you've gone through, or are presently going through, or will go through, the sum total is not worth comparing to the glory that awaits you. So what Paul wants to do in this passage is he wants to impress upon us the weight of our glory. He said, I want to push on you how great your future is. Because if you will think how how weighty and how wonderful it is, uh, you might long for it a little bit more. Now, as you go through the passage, the the word that Paul uh, repeats over and over again is the word groan. And and basically he's saying that your future is so great that the whole world is groaning for it. This is what your heart is longing for. This is what you've been waiting for all of your life, this glorification. And so this morning what I want to do is go through the passage, and I think we see three groans in this passage. Uh, Number one, we're going to see that creation groans for glory. Why does creation groan for glory? And then second of all, we're going to see that we groan for this, we groan for our future, and then finally we're going to see that the Holy Spirit actually groans for the future glory. Three things as we go through the passage. And so uh, first we'll see uh, Paul is talking about glorification, and he says that creation waits, or creation groans, verse 19. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Stop there. And so first we'll see that that. When it comes to our future, all of creation is waiting for this. Uh, Paul mentions the word uh, creation four times in four verses. And when he says the word creation, he's talking about the animate and inanimate world. Uh, He's talking about all the non-human creation. So the plant and animal and mineral kingdoms, right? So this is all of creation. And he personifies creation. And he says, creation is groaning, creation is waiting. And the word waiting there is, is, a, is a wonderful word. It's, it's, it's literally, it means to be standing on tiptoe, to be waiting with its neck craned out. So if you've got a dog at home, and when you go away, your poor little dog just waits for you to get home, and it stands by the door, and it's waiting on tiptoe, and it's craning its neck out, and it's just waiting and waiting for you to get 
to, to arrive back home again. Notice cats don't do that, by the way. But creation itself is eagerly longing for our glorification. Now, why would creation itself be longing for our glory? Well, because Paul goes on and he tells us the story of creation. He says, for creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it in hope. In other words, he says that creation itself, in some sense right now, is subjected to futility. Now, uh, here's what we know about creation, the world that we live in. It is in a state of, of futility and bondage. In fact, the three words that Paul uses to describe the present reality of creation is that it is, it's, it's decaying, and it's frustrated, and it's in bondage. Now, someone says, well, wait, when I look at creation, it looks beautiful. It looks, you know, you look at a sunset, or you look at, you know, uh, you know, some of these plants and these flowers, I mean, isn't creation beautiful? Doesn't it display the glory of God? Well, yes, creation does display God's glory, but creation is also in a state of brokenness. So in Genesis chapter 3, Paul is alluding to this when he said that subject with, the creation was subject to futility. When Adam and Eve sinned, uh, and, they, and they left the Garden of Eden, it says that the, the whole ground was cursed because of their sin. So it says to Adam, uh, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. Now, what Paul is describing there is that when, uh, during the time of the fall, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, that, that curse rippled out into all of the created order. When sin entered into the world, there was a small but notice, noticeable terror in the fabric of creation. So that when we look at the world now, it is under a curse. You remember the, the Chronicles of Narnia? There's, the, the whole premise is that uh, Narnia is under the curse of the White Witch. It's under an eternal winter. And in a sense, this is the state of our world today. Yes, it's beautiful, but it's under, a, it's under a state of brokenness and futility. And so that when you look at the world, yes, it's beautiful, but N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, the beauty of creation, the world is full of beauty, but the beauty is incomplete. And it's incomplete because there's decay in the world. Right? We might see a beautiful flower, but sooner or later that flower is going to die. Uh, we know that the whole cosmos is sort of winding down. There's decay happening. Everything's dying. And so Paul is almost personifying creation here and saying creation's frustrated. Creation is not happy with the state of affairs. Creation knows what it was meant for. God created the world and said it is good. But the world that God created is broken. It's subject to futility. It's decaying, it's under corruption, it's under bondage. And in some sense, the creation's bondage is frustrated because of the sin of humanity. Mankind's abuse of creation exacerbates the disharmony that we see here. So a lot of the, the wrong that you see in the world is because of us, right? We abuse creation. The city where I'm from, if you fly into Los Angeles, there's a cloud of pollution over that city, and there are all sorts of things that human beings, because of their sin, have done to the world. 
But whether it's because of the fall or because of individual sin in particular, the world that we live in is not the way it's supposed to be. But notice what Paul says here. He says, one day creation itself will be liberated from its bondage. That is to say that when you look at future, the future glory of the world, what you see is new creation. God is going to fix the broken earth, the broken cosmos. You know, when I was growing up, there was a, a picture in my Sunday school room. I still remember it vividly. And it was of Christians flying out of the earth, you know, the, and the earth was on fire, you know, being destroyed, and we're getting out just in time. When you look at the Bible, that is not the picture of our ultimate future. It's not us getting out of the earth into heaven. If you look at Revelation 21, it is heaven coming down to earth. Revelation 21, it says the kingdom of God is coming down, and God is going to dwell on the earth. And when God gets here, everything is refurbished. Everything is made new. Creation itself is healed. And what's fascinating is when you look at Revelation 21, it looks a lot like Genesis 1. In, in Revelation 21, you've got a, a, a river, you've got the tree of life, and God is dwelling in the midst of it all. And it's almost like the Bible is going in full circle. God is going to renovate and fix and renew the original world that he made. You see, God made everything good, and he's not going to scrap his good creation. God is into recycling. God is going to restore all things. And so uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project to snatch people, uh, not to snatch people away from earth into heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That's our future. Heaven coming down to the world to renew everything here. And then Joshua Butler puts it this way. God's purpose is to not get us out of earth and into heaven. It's to reconcile heaven and earth. It's to renew all things. It's to restore the original goodness of creation. You know, I don't know about you, but I love uh, restored things. I love restored houses. You know, these old historic homes on Main Street, uh, restored to their original glory. I love old restored cars, you know, old 1960s Mustang, restored to its original glory. Uh, You know, 1996 maroon and rust-colored Toyota Camry. It's my car, by the way, not worth restoring at all. But God is going to restore the good creation. Now somebody says, well, wait a minute, 1 Peter 3, or 2 Peter 3, says that everything's going to melt with a fervent heat. Isn't God going to burn everything up in the end? Well, fire can do two things, can it? It can destroy, but it could also purify. And I would suggest that in the end, there is going to be a fire, but it's a purifying fire. God is going to eliminate all that is bad in this world, and he's going to restore all things. This is future glory, and this is why creation groans for it. This is why even the non-human world is waiting on tiptoe and craning its its neck forward. Because if the world is beautiful now, imagine what it's going to look like when it's released from its bondage. If you enjoy a sunset now, imagine what that's going to look like when Jesus Christ has renovated it to its original glory. So creation groans. Second of all, we're going to see that humanity groans. Or Christians, the the redeemed... uh, A church groans for glorification, verse 23. 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves who, have, who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we, wait, as we eagerly await uh, the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Second groan. Uh, not only does creation itself groan, but we as God's people groan for glorification. So notice what Paul says here. What are we groaning for? He says we're groaning for the adoption. We're, we're the fruit for, fruit, first fruits, and we're, graining, uh, we're groaning for our adoption as children. Now somebody says, well, wait a minute. If I'm a Christian, it, aren't I already adopted? You know, I thought that when I became a Christian, suddenly I get the status that I'm a child of God and, and he's adopted me, he's my father. Well, yeah, that's true. You are a child of God as you sit in the seat here this morning. But your adoption is not c- complete. Uh, you're, you are a child of God, but your adoption is sort of already true, but not yet. There's a future aspect to your adoption. And the future aspect involves your body. He says, we're waiting for our, the fulfillment of our adoption, which is the redemption of our bodies. Now, this is incredible because what it means is that God is saving not just your soul, but your body. Your future glory involves more than your soul. Now, I know a lot of times we, we talk about, yes, I'm out there and I'm saving souls. You know, you hear preachers talk about, yeah, I preached that day and, and 15 souls were saved. And, and, and what I want to tell you is that God wants to save more than your soul. In the end, God wants to save your body too. And we know that, you know, part of who we are is our physical being, right? Your body is, a, is an essential part of you. You know, who you are is a, is, a, is a complex network of body, soul, and spirit. The body is not an appendage to the real you. The body is part of you, and so what we're groaning for, what we're longing for, is not just for saved souls, but for redeemed bodies as well. We all know this, even when you talk about adoption. You know, some of you may be in the process of adoption or foster care, and when you adopt a child, you don't just adopt the child's soul. Yeah, I'm into adoption. I'm going to adopt just their soul, not their body, right? And God, he doesn't want to adopt just your soul. God wants to adopt the entirety of who you are, body, soul, and spirit. And so what is glorification? Glorification is the final redemption of your body. When you, the entire you, is healed, body, soul, and spirit. And Paul says, as we're waiting for this, we groan in our bodies. And isn't that true? Some of you got up this morning and you groaned as you got out of bed. You know, it's because our bodies are subject to decay. Our bodies are breaking down. And our bodies are subject to futility. And so we groan in these bodies. We know that there's more to who we are. I was talking to uh, uh, Ed this morning, Ed and Beverly. They sit on the the second floor. And uh, they asked me how I was doing today. And I said, man, I'm so tired. We went to the creek on Friday, and we're building a treehouse yesterday. And I said, man, I'm just physically tired. And he said, wait till you're 75. It's because we're breaking down. Things are falling apart. Your body, like creation, is groaning. 
And in some ways, we're in bondage to our present condition. You know, we suffer from all sorts of maladies, physical disabilities. So, you know, some of us, not, we can't walk the way we should. We can't dance. We suffer from mental disabilities. Some of us suffer from depression and, and bipolar and chronic mental illnesses. You know, some of us are, are suffering from addictions and all sorts of things. And what Paul is saying is that, yes, it's because you're groaning. You know that things as they are now are not the way they're supposed to be. But he says, one day, God is going to save not only your, your, not only your soul, but your body. You're going to experience a complete, holistic healing. This is glorification. Now, somebody says, a new body, that sounds fantastic. What is my new body going to look like? Well, mine's going to be 6'4". I'll just tell you that right now. Tired of being short. We kind of don't know exactly what our new bodies are going to be like, but we know that they're going to be sort of like the resurrection body of Jesus. So Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection, Scripture says, and that uh, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was kind of a a paradigm of how our bodies are going to be when we rise. And so uh, you think about Jesus' resurrection body. He was, it was kind of odd, you know, he, he walked through a wall at one point, you know, in the upper room. But then he also said, touch me. Touch my hands and my feet so it was solid. And then at one point he said, give me a fish, I want to eat. He ate a fish with his new body. And so our new bodies are going to be sort of similar but also dissimilar to the bodies that we have now. Uh, We're going to be recognizable as ourselves. We will know even as we are known. We're going to be tangible and physical. But in some ways we're going to be far better. In all ways, we're going to be far better than we are now. The groaning will be over. This is a, Ray Stedman said this about our groaning. He says, our lives consist of groans. We groan because of the ravages of, that sin makes in our lives and in the lives of those we love. Also, we groan because we, because we see possibilities that are not being captured and employed. And then we groan because we see gifted people who are wasting their lives. And we would love to see something else happen. It is recorded that he, as he drew near to the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus groaned in his spirit because he was so burdened by the ravages of sin that had, had been made on a believing family. He groaned even though he knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead. So we groan in our spirits and we groan in disappointment and bereavement and sorrow. We groan physically in our pain and our limitation. Life consists of a great deal of groaning. But one day the Bible says that the groaning will be over, that we will be made whole. This is our future. So it's so different than flying away into the clouds, isn't it? It's so much better than harps and perfect hairdos, right? This is physical bodies, renewed resurrection bodies, living on a new creation. So we see that this is our groaning. And, and why, why do we groan? Because we long to be made whole, finally. We long to be complete. And then finally, we're going to see here that uh, the Holy Spirit groans. This is the third groaning, groaning for glorification. That we, we learn that the Spirit himself groans for our glorification. This is verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, or knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We'll stop there. So here we see that it's not just creation and, and us that are longing for the future. The Spirit himself is longing or is groaning for the future. Now, when it says the Spirit groans here, we've got it connected to the other groanings in the passage. This is parallel. It's the same Greek word. So creation groans, we as the church groan, but in the the exact same way, the Spirit is groaning. It's a groaning of anticipation. It's a groaning that's a longing for future glory. Now, why would the Spirit be longing for our glorification? I could understand why I groan to be glorified, But why would the Spirit of God himself be longing and looking forward to our glorification? Well, one of the reasons is because right now the Spirit of God is working for us. It says here that we don't know what to pray for now. You know, we're confused and we're frustrated in prayer sometimes. And it says that the Spirit of God is helping us. And the word help there is the same word that is used for bearing a burden. So if there's a big log and there's somebody bearing the front of that burden and somebody bearing the back of that burden, you know, you're sharing the load. Right now, the Holy Spirit is sharing our load. The Holy Spirit is bearing our burden in prayer. He says, we don't know what to pray for. You know, so often we're confused and we don't know what's going on and we just don't know how to pray. Have you ever experienced this? You know, you're praying and sometimes your prayers seem to hit the ceiling and come back down again. Or sometimes you're there and you're praying and you just don't, am I talking to myself? What's going on here? Is God even there? Is he even real? Sometimes you're confused and you don't know what to pray for. Whatever situation you're going going through, you're just like, do I pray for this? Do I pray for that? What do I even pray for? And it says here that the Holy Spirit is, is bearing our burden in prayer. He is helping us communicate to God. Because right now our communication with God is pretty difficult. Even though we're, we're saved and we're children of God, you know, have you ever talked to somebody via text message? Sometimes the communication gets lost because you're not face-to-face. And that's the way it is with, with God. You know, we're, we don't see God face-to-face. And sometimes we don't know what to pray for, and sometimes we don't know what God wants for us. God, if you would just speak to me audibly, just tell me what to do. There's this barrier right now And the Holy Spirit is groaning and and helping us get through this this barrier. But one day the Holy Spirit's job is going to be over. Because we are going to stand with God and look at him face to face. That communication gap is going to be gone. And the Holy Spirit longs for this. We groan for this, but God himself is longing to be with you. God himself is longing to see you face to face. In fact, this is the the story of the Bible, isn't it? That that God created the world and he wanted to dwell with us, but then we sinned. And from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the end of the book, God has been working and doing everything that he can to dwell with us again. On that day we will know even as we are known and we will speak to God face to face. And God is groaning, God is longing for this day. You know, future glory is not just about a new creation and getting a new body, but it's also about having a new relationship with your creator where he can speak to you and you can speak to him and you know exactly what he wants. And there's clarity. 
The creation groans, the church groans, and the spirit groans for our glorification. Glory involves a new creation, a holistic healing, and a new relationship with your creator. And this is good news, isn't it? Can we say amen? Can we do a little amen here? This is our future glory. This is what the world is waiting for. So let me apply it. I mean, because what does this mean to us uh, Monday morning? Uh, what does all this mean? I mean, how, how do we live in light of this new creation and this glory that's coming and, and that's, that's yet in the future? How, how does that change our lives now? Because it should change our lives now. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful quote in which he says that when you get a glimpse of the future glory, when you, when you just get a, a, a small vision of what's coming, it should change your life in the present. Notice what he says. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set, foot, set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with the future. So when you get a vision of this future, it should change the way you live now. Let me give you three things to be in light of this. So usually I tell you to do things, but I'm just going to tell you to be a few things today. In light of your ultimate future, I want you to be hopeful. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, so often we can be discouraged about our lives and the world. Can't we? You know, you can fall into despair and just say, man, everything's such a mess. And you could just get all in the weeds about all the problems and all the things that you see. But here what this shows us is that there is glory is coming. There is light at the end of the tunnel. God is coming and he's going to renew everything. And so this ought to give us hope. This ought to give us active hope. You know, where, you know the Christian idea of hope is not just, oh, waiting for that future out there. It's, it's, it's bringing the future into the present. If God's going to renew all creation, well, I'm going to work for that renewal. I'm going to bring that future now. I'm going to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to work for justice because justice is coming. I'm going to work for peace because peace is coming. I'm going to take care of creation because God is going to renew it. He's not going to scrap it. God is into recycling. Maybe I should be into recycling too. So this gives us incredible hope for the future. So I want, I want to encourage you this morning to be hopeful. Second of all, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to be patient. Right? New creation is coming, but it's, it's, it's not here now. And there are some of you in this room, and you know who you are. You are type one on the Enneagram, and you're perfectionists, and you want everything perfect now. I want to encourage you to be patient. The world is broken. The world is not the way it ought to be. God is one day going to make all things right, but right now we're living in tension. Can you live in the tension? Can you live in the tension? There are people, you know, think about your loved one. Some of you are so frustrated with your loved one that's still struggling with things. Be patient with them. They're not glorified yet. God's working on them. They're not what they ought to be, but they're not what they used to be. Hey, we're in tension here. Live within the tension. Be patient with things as they are. 
Love people who are in process. You know, enjoy the world as it is in all of its beauty, but know that there's a, there's a future world coming. Be patient. And finally, be confident. What I love is at the very end of this passage, and this is why I had uh, the scripture reader read the entirety of it, because at the very end, notice what it says. Uh, verse 30, For those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you catch that? Glorified is in past tense. The future glory is in past tense. It's like it's already happened. Those who have been justified and those who are being sanctified will be glorified. It's coming. Glory is coming. God will complete his work that he's doing in you and he will complete the work that he's doing in the world. There's a story that I've told numerous times here, and it's a cute little uh, story, and and you're you're probably tired of it, but it's a little boy, and he's in Sunday school being kind of rowdy, and the teacher looks at the little boy and says, little boy, do you know who made you? And the little boy says, yeah, God did. And the teacher said, well, he didn't do a very good job. And the little boy responded, that's because he's not finished yet. And God is not finished with you yet, God is not finished with the world yet. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So we can be confident. I don't know what you're struggling with now or what your brokenness is that you're dealing with now, but know that God will finish the work that he started in you. And we can work in the world and and make things better knowing that God himself is is at work. And he always completes what he starts. There's an old uh, hymn by Charles Gabriel and he says this, When all my labors and trials are over and I am safe on that beautiful shore just to be near the Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. Glory for me. There will be glory for you. Glory is coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this section of Romans 8 where you shoot forward into the future and you look at the future glory that's coming. God, it, it is cosmic in scope. It is not us, just, you know, souls being snatched up into heaven. It is heaven coming down to the earth. God, you will make all of creation new. You will restore all things. God, I pray that we would hope in this, God, that you would show us this light at the end of the tunnel, that we could bring this future into the present. God, that we could pray honestly, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Strengthen us, give us confidence. Lord, give us optimism. I pray you give us patience, Lord. Help us to anticipate the future of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.